بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما ويسددوا الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد So as we started the series on Islam's greatest personalities and the greatest of all personalities were the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so far we've covered 21 sessions so we completed four sessions on the life of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. We moved on to Ismail alayhi salam, Ishaq alayhi salam. We also spoke about Lut alayhi salam in great detail over two sessions. Now we've come back to conclude on the life of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. So just in conclusion, before we speak about his demise, we're going to speak about a few other characteristics regarding Ibrahim alayhi salam, which are not normally mentioned. And then we'll come to his demise and his departure from this world as well. In between, we've had a number of weeks where this session was planned uh, towards the end of Ramadan. And then we had the incidents that took place in Masjid Al-Aqsa. So we switched from this uh, particular topic to that. And then we've continued on the topic of Palestine, Masjid Al-Aqsa up until now. And in reality, this is also, uh, so if anybody's thinking, you know, why have we stopped talking about Palestine? We haven't, because on a Sunday morning after Fajr, we have the Great Fajr campaign, and that's a weekly discussion on the topic of Palestine, where we have the Qunutun Nazila, where we have a lesson on Baytul Maqdis. We get updated with the latest news on Palestine. We make special dua. So Alhamdulillah, that's ongoing. And even these prophets, they were all prophets from the lands of Palestine. So indirectly, or you can say directly, this is still a discussion regarding those lands. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. So what we've already discussed, like I said, was the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam, Lut alayhi salam, Ismail, Ishaq alayhi salam. Now we come towards the end of the life of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. And in particular, we're going to mention, first of all, before the demise of Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, his wife passed away before him. And this was his first wife, what was her name? Sarah. So his wife Sarah passed away before Ibrahim alayhi salam at the age of 127, according to historians. Now, when she passed away so imagine you've got ibrahim salam, you've got his wife they've been together for so long they're in palestine that is where they live um and they, they took up residence their permanent residence in palestine and his wife sarah radiallahu ta'ala anha has now passed away ibrahim salam, now wants to find a place to bury his wife sarah 
So in search of a suitable place where he could bury his wife, he went out to search. And in searching, he came across a huge cave. And he asked the owner of the cave, uh, you know, that he wanted to purchase the cave. Some of the historians have mentioned that he was told, no, it's fine, bury whoever you want. You don't need to pay anything towards it. And he says, no, I want to pay something towards it. Uh, nevertheless, Ibrahim salam purchased this cave himself. So he paid a sum, he purchased this cave, and in this cave, uh, which is referred to as Makfala, uh, and in English, they, 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 nowadays they call it the cave of the patriarchs. Uh, and Makfala um, possibly came from, I don't know, Hebrew or I, I don't know where it originally comes from, but that is what it was called originally in the old text, maybe even in the previous scriptures as well. And we have mention of it in our historians as well, make discussion regarding this cave of Makfala. Now, in this cave, the first to be buried was Sarah alayhi salam, by Ibrahim alayhi salam. So Ibrahim alayhi salam, he went, he took his wife, he carried his wife Sarah radiallahu ta'ala anha, and he went and buried her in this cave. Soon after she passed away, the next to pass away was Ibrahim alayhi salam himself. So Ibrahim alayhi salam passed away. He was the second person to be buried uh, in this cave next to his wife, Sarah. So you have Sarah and then you have uh, so Sarah radiallahu ta'ala anha was buried and by Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam passes away. He was then buried next to his wife, Sarah radiallahu ta'ala anha. The third to pass away from their family was their daughter-in-law. Who was their daughter-in-law? The wife of? Now th think about where, where are they? They're in Palestine, okay? So which son was there? How many sons did he have? Ismail salam, sorry, Ibrahim salam had the eldest son is? Ismail salam. where did he live? Where did he live? Where was he born? In Mecca, and he lived in Mecca. He passed away in Mecca. Okay, so his entire life was there. Who was the other son of uh, Ibrahim salam? Ishaq salam. So we have Ishaq. Okay, the wife of Ishaq, her name is Ribqa. In English, we say Rebecca. That's where it comes from. Ribqa. Uh, and then it became Rifqa. So in the, if you look at the, the, the books of history, they refer to her as Ribqa. And also we have Rifqa. Now, this, this is very common. Very, very common. Even much, this is where going many, like, you know, nearly over 2,000 years or more than that, actually. No, no, sorry. 2,000. 2,000 plus years was till the Prophet So we're looking at three to 4,000 years ago or probably even more, possibly even 5,000 years. Now don't quote me on the, the number of years because this is depending on who works it out in which way. So there's no point getting into this discussion, uh, but I'm just trying to give you an idea. So we're going back so many thousands of years, so it's very difficult to actually get the correct wording. However, even from recent times, in Arabic it's very, very common uh, for this kind of a change or it could be this or it could be this because of the one dot can make a difference the person writing can make a difference can make a mistake even in copying 
in, in, in the one dot. So Ribqa, Rifqa, it could have been any of these. Nevertheless, this is her name, either Ribqa. Nowadays, when we go to Palestine, on the tomb of the wife of Ishaq it says Rifqa with Fa. Okay? So she was the third to pass away. So she was then buried more towards the Qibla in front of uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam. Next passed away her husband who was Prophet Ishaq alayhi salam. So he's buried next to his wife. Okay. So you've got Ibrahim alayhi salam and Sarah. And then you've got uh, Ishaq alayhi salam and Rifqa. Okay. Buried like this. And then passed away Prophet Yaqub alayhi salam. He was then buried behind Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then after that, his wife passed away. Her name was Liqa. Some have said, some have said Layya. Some have called her Laika. Let's take Liqa for example for now. This is more common. Liqa was the wife of Yaqub alayhi salam. So she is buried next to Yaqub alayhi salam. How many personalities is that? Six. And altogether in there, it says there's seven people buried. So we've got six here. So Sarah and Ibrahim. Rifqa and Ishaq, Yaqub and Liqa, and then some Jumas ago, I don't know if you remember, we made a discussion and we had a talk before I think the talks of Palestine, where the, the Prophet said to the Sahaba, and in particular addressing one individual, do not be, uh, why, why can't you be like the old woman of Bani Israel? Don't know if any of you remember this discussion that we had. It was in one of the Jumas. And the Sahaba said, Who was the Ajuz and the old woman of Bani Israel? And then the Prophet gave a whole explanation of who this woman was. And that the Bani Israel, uh, when, when uh, Yusuf passed away, uh, he took an oath from the Bani Israel that if you people ever end up leaving Egypt, you must take my body with me. This is in the hadith. This is in a sahih, authentic hadith. He said to the Bani Israel, if you ever end up leaving Egypt, you must take my body with me. And this is one of his parting advices before he passes away. So when the Bani Israel, uh, they were traveling with Musa alayhi salam, and uh, as they were leaving, they were trying to leave and uh, tr make a travel towards a particular destination. But they just weren't finding the way. Even Musa salam was quite surprised, the hadith says, that why, what's going on? What's the problem? Some of the scholars, meaning the rabbis, they remembered and told Musa salam, our forefathers made a vow and a promise to Yusuf salam that if we ever leave Egypt, we must take his body with us. So Musa salam says, who knows where he is buried? It's been so long. They said, yes, there's one old woman of Bani Israel. She knows where Yusuf is buried. So they said, come on, let's go call her. So they called this woman of Bani Israel. And I said, tell the Luni, tell me, where is the cover of Yusuf alayhi salam? She says, I'm not going to tell you. She says, why not? You must tell me. She goes, no. I'll only tell you on one condition. You do what I say, and then I'll do what you say. Musa salam said, he didn't like what she was saying. And she insisted, look, if you, if you want to really know, well, you do what, what I tell you. 
He says, okay, go on. What is it you want? He says, oh, Musa, I want your companionship in Jannah. I want to be with you in Jannah. If you grant, promise me that, then I'll tell you where it is. Now, Musa, hadith says, Fakariha Musa Dalika. Musa السلام, didn't like what she's saying because number one, she's a stranger. Like who's she to just get the companionship of a prophet? Random woman just came up and said, I make dua. So Musa السلام, hesitated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent wahi to Musa السلام, and said, grant her what she wishes. Make dua and grant her the companionship. He made the dua. She said, I'll tell you where the qabr of Musa, Yusuf السلام, is. She took them towards a pond. She said, empty all the water from this pond and then dig in this place they began to dig and they found the uh, body of prophet yusuf السلام, completely intact as soon as the hadith says as soon as they lifted the body of yusuf السلام, the path opened up in front of them and they continued their journey and the idea is that they bought the body of yusuf السلام, and alongside the six great personalities they buried yusuf السلام, also in the cave of Makfala in Hebron al-Khalil in Palestine. Uh, some years ago when we were there, so that's one of the main places when people travel to Palestine, one of the main places to visit because after Masjid al-Aqsa, probably the most holiest place in the whole of Palestine will be this area of Prophet Ibrahim salam, where we have so many great personalities buried also and there's a masjid there. And, um, as we were leaving, one of the brothers came and he said, you know, I'm going to take you and show you something which, you know, is not normally uh, sort of opened up. And he took us through this room and on there it said, the, it, 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 there was a notice saying it was the Qabr of Yusuf alayhi salam. So we hadn't seen this in the previous years. And they opened a few doors to go inside and you could tell that it was quite like they hadn't accessed it for many, many years. And they said, well, we, we, you, didn't, you can't reach the actual grave because the graves are quite low down in the cave, right at the bottom of the cave. The masjid is very high up. So when you go to the masjid and what you see in front of you, that's a tomb. And, and the great personalities, the prophets, they are buried in a cave. So although this particular room was much lower down on the staircase, even from then he said the graves are much, much lower. But this was relatively closer to when you visit the tombs at the top of the masjid. Nevertheless, we got a chance to recite some Quran and return from them. So this is uh, the, the, we start off by mentioning that before Ibrahim alayhi salam, his wife, Sarah uh, radiallahu ta'ala anha, she passed away and Ibrahim alayhi salam purchased this cave. And this is the story of this particular area. Now, scholars have mentioned that besides the Prophet ﷺ, it is almost impossible, almost impossible to specify the location of the burial site of any Prophet with 100% accuracy. Um, however, regarding Prophet Ibrahim ﷺ, the historians say that the information that we've received regarding the location of his burial has come to us through mass transmission over time. So many people have been narrating this and passing this information on that it's almost impossible to deny that Ibrahim is buried in that location. 
Nevertheless, this is what the scholars have said, and there are many, many who actually agree, if they've not agreed on other locations, but on this particular instant regarding the burial site of Ibrahim salam, uh, this is where it is. Nevertheless, we, we still have to speak about his wafat and his demise. So let's wait a little bit before we talk about that. So regarding Ibrahim salam, there are certain things which were quite unique to him and how he was the first to do so many things. And the historians have mentioned many, many different things. For example, Ibrahim salam was the first person to ever wear trousers. Now, in previous times, even during the time of the Prophet wasallam, this is a discussion the ulama have. Did the Prophet wasallam ever wear trousers or not? When we say trousers, that doesn't mean he didn't wear anything. Trousers meaning this kind of garment which is sewn. Did he wear or not? So one thing is established. He was gifted a pair of trousers. So many people, because of this hadith, they say, yes, he did. However, the hadith says he was gifted, but it doesn't show anywhere that he actually wore them. He could have received and maybe passed it on to somebody else, whether rich or poor, uh, because there is no narration that actually says that he وسلم, wore trousers. What did he wear? Well, he wore what most of the people at that time were wearing. In Arabic, we call it izar, not our izar. Okay, we say izar to trousers. Okay, so izar in Arabic, in we call it in our uh, Desi language, we call it lungi. Okay, and in Farsi, it's dehband. Dehband in Urdu is also used, dehband, and we call it lungi, and in Arabic, it's called izar. And izar is simply a cloth. Whether it's just a cloth like the cloth of Ehram, or even if it's sewn, so it becomes like a round tube, it's just a cloth. And this is what the Prophet wasallam and Sahaba generally wore. One cloth at the top, one cloth at the bottom. And that was their normal clothing. Yes, he did wear the qamis like a jubba. So that was a bit more sophisticated, okay? It would have, you know, you'd see like sleeves. Maybe they might not be as formed as ours are. But, you know, you had the sleeve and it wasn't just a cloth. But at the bottom, it was generally the izar and tehband which people wore, which is very common, for example, in places like Malaysia, Indonesia, even in Bangladesh, for example, and many other countries as well, and uh, that they still wear this as a lower garment, in, in, not just for sleeping, in normal clothing. So Ibrahim salam, and at that time, people also wore that as well. One of the historic narrations, again, some of these could be from the Israeliyat, so we're just being careful, but I'm just mentioning things that the ulama and historians have mentioned regarding Ibrahim salam. They say Ibrahim salam, uh, out of modesty, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant him clothing because when you wear the izar, tahban, it's covered, your satr is covered. But he was saying that I want it to be covered even from the earth. So he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some kind of clothing. Jibreel descended with a piece of cloth from Jannah. And with this cloth, he gave this cloth to his wife, Sarah. And she sewed him a pair of trousers. And from then on, Ibrahim salam would wear trousers as a lower garment. So the scholars have mentioned the first to wear sirwal. Uh, in Arabic, it's called sirwal. 
Okay. Does that sound familiar to something? What does it sound like? Sharwal. Okay. So Sirwal is in Arabic. So there you go. So Sirwal. Awalu man Sirwal. It says in the hadith, not hadith, but the books of uh, tarikh. The first to wear the trousers is Ibrahim alayhi salam. And the first person to sew something was Idris alayhi salam. We've already spoke about Idris alayhi salam. So the second person to sew is Sarah. She sewed the pair of trousers for Ibrahim alayhi salam. Now something else that used to happen in those days, people used to age. So you get older, okay? However, you, the, there were no signs of old age on a person. So you'd get older, you might get weaker, but sometimes, so you'd, so you'd say like, who's the son, who's the dad? Like, are you the dad or are you the dad? Or are you the granddad? Like, people would get confused. So at that time, Ibrahim salam, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show them a sign so that they can differentiate between who's the father, who's the son, and who's the grandfather. So Ibrahim salam, is the first person to ever have white hair. So white hair started to appear on his beard and on his hair. When Ibrahim salam, saw white hair, he says, Ya Rabbi Mahada. So Allah, what's this? He didn't know because this wasn't common. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, This is waqar, dignity. And then he made dua, Rabbi zidni waqara. Oh Allah, increase me in dignity. As a result of which then he had a full beard, which became white and a full head of white hair. So the first person to have white hair, and from then onwards it's continued, is Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. What else did he do first? He is the first to call us Muslim. This name Muslim, Islam, comes from Ibrahim alayhi salam. Huwa sammakumul muslimin, Quran is saying. So he is the one, remember he is the one who made dua for Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam to be our prophet. And he is the one who named you and us Muslims. We are named Muslims by Ibrahim salam. We have a very, very strong connection with this prophet. Thus in every single salah we're reading Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ala ali Ibrahim innaka hamidun majid. Just now we've had the days of Hajj. All of those rituals are the rituals of Ibrahim salam and his family. Also, it's mentioned he's the first prophet to use a sword in battle. Possibly the prophets before that didn't need to engage in battle with any disbelievers. Allah knows best. But it's mentioned, historians have mentioned, that Ibrahim salam is the first of the prophets to use a sword in battle. That was number five. Number six, Ibrahim salam is the first to break idols in history. We all know the story of him breaking the idols. It's in the Quran. So the first person to ever break idols in the way he did in history is Prophet Ibrahim salam. And the first to be circumcised is also Prophet Ibrahim salam. Now the hadith, the Prophet actually tells us this in a hadith. But Ibrahim salam was circumcised at the age of 80. So he did it at a very late age, at the age of 80. Ismail salam at the age of 13. And then later on, because it became a normal practice, Ishaq salam when he was seven days old. So from then it became a normal practice. So this is again a sunnah and a practice 
of fitrah of nature that comes from Ibrahim there's an interesting incident some of the scholars of history have mentioned to the background of this again it's been mentioned I'm going to share it with you uh, it, 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 it's not something that's, that's definitive but I'm going to share with you the historians have mentioned that a time came when Ibrahim and his people the believers had to go into battle and this was a very fierce battle many lives were lost on both sides as a result of the massacre and the killing that took place at the end of the battle it was difficult to distinguish between the people of Iman and the people of Kufr. How do you know who's who? How can you bury in accordance to our religious customs who is a Muslim, who is not a Muslim? Everybody looks similar. So from then on, the Muslimin were ordered, Ibrahim salam was ordered to get circumcised, to differentiate between the believers and the idol worshippers. And from then on, it became a practice. Interestingly, this was actually, uh, I remember some years ago, it's not even been that long, in, in, in India, in Ahmedabad, Amdawad, Ahmedabad, whatever you want to call it, Gujarat, where the riots broke out between Muslims and Hindus. This was used at that time as well because, because, because this is what happened. And this is where what the sunnah of the Prophet of the beard is so beneficial. Not only does it help you, this is our respected teachers of Mufti Shabir Sahib used to tell us this story and relate this. He started off talking from the beard and then he went on to this uh, circumcision and then this related this incident regarding India, which is very, very recent. That when the riots broke out, the sunnah of the beard of the Prophet ﷺ, people realized the benefit of this, that in, a li in your lifetime it helps you, but even after you're dead, how it helps you. That the only way they knew who's a Muslim, who is a Hindu, they, how could you tell? The riots people had massacred each other. They said, whoever has a beard, they will be handed over and you can bury them in the Muslim Qabristan. Whoever doesn't have a beard will burn their bodies, will cremate them. And at times then they've used this of this. Now this is it, it's something very sensitive to check who's circumcised, who's not circumcised. That is not the best thing to do at that time. Uh, so he was mentioning how the beard protects a person even at the time of death as well, it protects your Muslim and Islamic identity. So this is Ibrahim alayhi salam, the first to be circumcised. And it's interesting because he was the first to be circumcised. And then we had an incident. We spoke about this very earlier on when we started speaking about Ibrahim alayhi salam. You remember when his wife, uh, Sarah, was his first wife. And then he got married to Hajar. Hajar was given as a gift to Sarah as a helper. And Ibrahim salam had a child with Hajar before he had a child with Sarah. So he had a child with Hajar who was Ismail salam. And Sarah was jealous. And she was very envious, very jealous of Hajar. She would follow her around. She even made a vow that she's going to cut one of her limbs off. And this is in the hadith. We spoke about it a number of weeks ago. So I, I, I'm just briefly mentioning uh, and coming to the point that's relevant here. So Hajar was the first woman in history 
to wear a, a trailing dress. Can you, you got the wedding dresses that have got like a trail behind them? Okay, so she was the first person to wear a dress that had a trail, and not because she wanted it to be really fancy or anything, or she was extravagant. It was so that when she goes anywhere, her footsteps would be wiped away. So Sarah couldn't find where she's going because she used to try and follow her around. So she started wearing these long clothing that when she would walk, her footsteps would get wiped away. Sarah, because she was always trying on the hunt to try and attack her. And this is then Ibrahim sent her away back to Makkatul Mukarramah and Sarah remained in Palestine. Uh, nevertheless, as a kafara, to, because the vow she made, Sarah had made a vow that she's going to cut one of the limbs of Hajar. Uh, and he said to her, look, you need to fulfill your vow, but you can't do it in this manner. Thus, Hajar is the first person, instead of cutting one of her limbs, she made her, got her ears pierced. So Ibrahim salam is the first to get circumcised. And for women, it's the piercing of the ears. Okay. And this is why we generally get this done for even young girls. You know, there's no fixed time period. But this is something that Hajar was the first to do this. Uh, and, and from then on, it continues. And this is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet So that was another thing he was the first to do. Also, the historians mention uh, he was the first person to do raf'ul yadayn fi kulli khafdin wa raf'in fi salah. So in salah we have raf'ul yadayn. The Hanafiyah they say that it is sunnah to raise the hands in the beginning and it's sunnah not to raise the hands throughout the rest of the salah. This is what the Hanafiyah say. Other a'imma, Shafi'iyah for example, they have the raising of the hands before going into ruku and maybe standing from ruku. However, there are other Imams who have said there will be the raising of the hands on every rising and every bowing. So for example, when you sit up from sajda, some Imams, maybe they didn't become as famous or there were certain uh, rare opinions which didn't get mainstream practice where when they sit up from sujood, they would do Allahu Akbar like this. And before going to sajda also, so Ibrahim salam, the historians have mentioned, he was the first to do this type of raf'ul yadayn, where on every rising and every bowing, he would raise the hands. Wa Ibrahimul ladhi waffa. Quran says, and Ibrahim salam, who was loyal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ibn Abbas radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, making tafsir of this, he says, he is the first person to perform four rakat in the early hours of the day. Four rakat, to perform four rakat in the early hours of the day. This was a practice of Ibrahim salam, and he was, he practiced this and he was committed to this. Uh, similarly, the first person to offer hospitality and to host guests formally. One is to share your food now and again but to actually invite people to your home and give them hospitality in a formal way, this was the first person to do this was Ibrahim salam. Not only did he do this, Ibrahim salam would never eat. He never ate without a guest. The books of history mention that sometimes he would walk up to two miles to find somebody to eat with him. And when he would find someone, he would bring them and then he would eat with them. We'll speak about that more, inshallah, uh, in, in a short while. So the first to offer hospitality. Uh, 
The hadith also mentioned the first to do center parting in the hair. So this is also a sunnah of our Prophet So maybe people prior to that didn't. So he was the first to part the hair, to having long hair and then to have a parting uh, in the middle. This was a sunnah of Ibrahim salam. Using water for istinja, a sunnah of Ibrahim salam. Similarly, he is the first to clip the nails. To clip the nails regularly maybe people did it now and again but to regularly do it and make a habit out of it this is a, a practice of ibrahim alayhi salam similarly trimming of the mustache regularly making it a habit to keep the mustache as short as possible this was also the first person to do this regularly was prophet ibrahim alayhi salam Number 16, plucking the underarm hair. Now you might think these are some things which are quite familiar to us. Yes, they are because the Prophet wasallam, this beautiful hadith, Ashrum min al-fitra. There are 10 actions which are known as the actions of nature, of sunnah. And the scholars mention what does it mean by sunnah? It means the sunnah of Prophet Ibrahim salam. He's the one who initiated them. So plucking the underarm hair, this is a sunnah of Ibrahim salam. Using the miswak, the first to do this was Prophet Ibrahim Gargling the mouth. Now, when we say gargling the mouth, we don't mean, does that mean people didn't wash their mouths? No, of course they did. But remember, washing the mouth and gargling, there's a distinction here. And I mention this because a lot of people, or most people, when they do wudu, they don't gargle the mouth. The sunnah is to gargle the mouth. Okay? Madhmada and istinshaq. These are the words. Madhmada and istinshaq. Madhmada means to place water in the mouth and then take it to your throat and then gargle. Okay, you make the gargling sound and then spitting the water out. That is gargling the mouth. The sunnah in the wudu isn't putting water in the mouth and spitting it out. A lot of us, we put water in the mouth, we take it around the mouth and spit it out. That's not the sunnah. Everybody does that, washing the mouth. This specific sunnah is madhmada. This comes from Ibrahim alayhi salam, which means to gargle the mouth, to take the wudu. Now, you, this is something very basic regarding wudu. Okay, so that is one. So that was the first to do this is uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then the second part, again, which most people don't do correctly, is istinshaq. And istinshaq means to take water, put it into the nose, and then blowing the nose out. Okay, both. We do both of these things. So a lot of people just take the water, put it into the nose, okay, and then carry on. So you put it into the nose. Istinshaq is to put it into the nose. And then you have istinthar, which is to blow the nose. Hadith of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet says, when a person goes to sleep, shaitan spends the night in the khayshum. The khayshum is the soft part of your nose. When you go further up in your nose, you have a bone, the bone starts. Okay, in the beginning there's no bone, and when you go further up, there's a bone and it's, it's soft and it hardens as it goes up. Iblis spends the night in the khayshum. This is a hadith of Sahih Muslim. He spends the night in the khayshum of your nose. When you wake up, the hadith says, when you wake up and you wash your nose, if you do istinthar, the Prophet says, فَلْيَسْتَنْثِرْ Whoever wakes up in the morning, you must do istinthar. What does it mean by istinthar? Istinthar means to do istinthar, you have to do istinshaq. Istinshaq, istinthar means blowing the nose out. 
How are you going to blow the nose out if you haven't put anything in? So first you have to do istinshaq, meaning take water, put it into the nose, and then blow that out. The hadith says you should blow that out so that you blow out the influence of shaitan. So throughout the night, shaitan spends the night there. That's why in the morning when you wake up, whether it's wudu or you're not doing wudu, that is one practice, a sunnah practice every person should be doing in the morning is putting water into the nose and blowing it out to blow out the influence of shaitan uh, from, from the night. So the first person to do madmada and istinshaq is also Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Uh, similarly, halqul ana, shaving below the below the navel, so around the private area, to shave that area, this is also uh, the sunnah of Prophet Ibrahim and the Prophet also instructed the believers to do this. And the word shaving has been used for this area. The idea is to remove hair around the private areas because it's a, it's a place of dirt and filth. With the presence of hair, of course, the filth and the dirt will continue remaining there. So on a regular basis, to remove the hair from that area where you think that... So now somebody, somebody could think, well, what's the limit? Where do we start? Where do we end? Well, the idea is, it's very simple. Islam is very easy. The idea is that it shouldn't remain an area of filth. Where there is a chance of filth gathering, that the hair of that area will need to be removed. It, it, it's quite simple. Similarly, Ibrahim salam is the first to do musafaha and mu'anaqa. Starting off the sunnah of musafaha and mu'anaqa. Musafaha means, okay, putting your hands into the hands of somebody else, shaking somebody's hands. This is the sunnah of Ibrahim salam and mu'anaqa is to embrace somebody. Okay, when you embrace somebody, when you uh, sort of bring your neck closer to the neck of the uh, second person, mu'anaqa, to embrace somebody, this is a sunnah of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And then also one of his sunnah where we find amongst some of the Arabs, this is common, or amongst certain uh, people, they do this with their senior ulama or mashaykh, to kiss somebody between the eyes in the forehead, the place of sajda. Okay, this is something also we find was the sunnah of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. We already spoke about he was the first to have white hair. Uh, so from here we can continue. Now, Quran tells us that no matter who you are, how great a person might be, a time is going to come when we all have to say goodbye and end uh, our temporary abode and go to the permanent abode. Quran says no matter where you are, death will come and overtake you. Even if you lock yourself up in high, tall fortresses and castles, Quran says, you can go up in that castle, apply all of the locks, go up into the tower. If death is going to come, it'll come to you even there as well. So, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا لِبَشَرٍ مِّنْ قَبْلِكَ الْخُلْدِ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we have never destined for anybody before you to remain for eternity. أَفَإِمْ مِتَّ فَهُمُ الْخَالِدُونَ What, you're going to pass away? You think other people are going to live forever? They're trying to end you. Don't think they're going to end one day as well. كُلُّ نَفْسٍ ذَائِقَةُ الْمَوْتِ 
Every soul will taste death. So as great as Prophet Ibrahim salam was, and as close as he was to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a time had to come when he had to go. Before we go on to mentioning the final moments of Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, I just wanted to mention that um, we hear the story that's normally narrated regarding Sulaiman alayhi salam and the angel of death. And Dawood alayhi salam, who was his father, he had a person that was one of his advisors or ministers, you could call him, very close to Dawood alayhi salam. When Dawood alayhi passed away, he became very close to Sulaiman alayhi salam, always with him. And Sulaiman alayhi salam would always discuss whatever he wanted to with him to the extent that people actually envied him as well. That why is it that he is always privy to all of the conversations, all of the discussions, all of the decisions that are made. Once a sheikh came into the gathering and he just stood there and he kept staring at this companion of Sulaiman alayhi salam, his close person, his minister, his advisor, and uh, he, he stared at him for a very long time and then he left the gathering. And this person came to Sulaiman alayhi salam and said, look, I've accompanied you for many, many years, but I have this very uneasy feeling. You know, that person that came into the gathering, he was looking at me for so long and I feel very uncomfortable. Oh Sulaiman, Allah has granted you and made the winds subservient to you. Please can you tell the winds to try and transfer me from here, remember they were in Palestine, to the furthest areas of Hind. The narration mentioned Al-Hind. Take me somewhere uh, to the lands of India, okay, to the subcontinent, to those lands, so I can be distant from this individual. Sulaiman Islam said, okay. So then Sulaiman Islam did as he requested. When this uh, individual who was like an old man who came again to the gathering of Sulaiman Islam, Sulaiman Islam asked him that why were you looking towards my friend in a very strange way? He said, oh, have you not recognized me? I am Malakul Maud. I am the angel of death. He says, why were you looking at him? He says, on my list of people, Okay, whose, de whose death was destined I had to take their soul was your companion. However, it said that in a very short time I have to take his life in the subcontinent. We're here in Palestine and I was thinking to my, that's why I'm staring at him thinking this has never ever happened where Allah has given me a record and I've gone to that place and that person isn't there. And I was thinking within moments this person needs to die in those lands. What is he doing here? But it just so happened when I reached there, I found him there and I took his soul. And he has gone to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this is a story that we hear very often. And the idea of this is to show us that no matter where we are, when wherever death is written for us, it will come and it will take us and we have to leave. One day may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our last day, our best day, our final action, our best action and grant us all husnul khatima. Now, Ibrahim alayhi salam uh, will speak about his demise in a moment. But we hear from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam ascended the heavens on the night of Mi'raj. He met with many of the Prophets. 
And one of the most amazing meetings he had was with Prophet Ibrahim salam. Which heaven was he on? The seventh. So right at the top, we've got seven. Shall we go back and see who remembers? First, second, third, fourth, which prophet it was? So we will leave it for now. Okay, on the seventh heaven was Ibrahim salam. The Prophet wasallam tells us, Ibrahim so he says, I met Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam not only showed us compassion towards us in his own lifetime, okay, he, he looked out for us so much, even he called us Muslimin and he said, Wa arina manasikana, but all these rituals that we have, Ibrahim alayhi salam asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He made dua, we've been speaking about Zamzam, okay, uh, all of these du'as that he made, uh, it wasn't for his own benefit because he's, he, he didn't survive. It was for our benefit. So he was very compassionate towards us in his lifetime. And even after his demise, when the Prophet met him uh, in, on the night of Mi'raj, he's looking out for you and me. And this is how much he has... He has compassion for you and me, Ibrahim alayhi salam, that he said, Ya Muhammad, aqri ummataka minni as-salam. O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, give your ummah my salam. Pass my salam to your ummah. And this is something amazing. Ibrahim alayhi salam is sending his salam. And this is one amazing thing that those who travel to Palestine, when we go to Al-Khalil, and to the place where Ibrahim salam is buried, that is something amazing that, you know, when you can actually go and return that salam physically in person. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it possible for us all. However, he didn't stop here. He shared a message, an important message for all, all of us. He says, Tell your ummah that Jannah, the soil of Jannah is very beautiful, very fragrant, and it has very sweet water. However, tell them it's empty. So it's got beautiful soil, and there's beautiful water, but you need something to grow there, don't you? Okay, so soil is very beautiful. The water is also there, but you need to plant. Okay, so you've got beautiful soil, you've got water, what do you need? Seeds, okay? You need some plant plantation, seeds. And then he said, tell them that the soil is there, the water is there, but you need, the seeds need to come from the earth. What are they? وَأَنَّ غِرَاسَهَا سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَلَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ And in Tabrani we have also وَلَا حَوْلَ وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ So tell them that, look, Jannah is the soil there, there's water there, but that's it. If you want your Jannah to be like that, empty, bare, then that's fine. But if you want there to be plantation, you want there to be trees and much more, then you must recite as much as possible, Subhanallah. Every time you say Subhanallah, that's a seed planted. Now, don't think about our seeds here, okay? Imagine a seed of Allah, okay, being planted in the Jannah of Allah, and then just think, well, we can't imagine, can we? Because it's beyond our imagination. But it's better than anything you can imagine. And the more you do, the more you will have there. So it's up to us, each individual, to grow and invest in our own Jannah by doing as much dhikr as possible. 
سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر and in one riwayah ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله is also added as well so this is something we should try and do and practice this advice of Ibrahim as much as possible walking, sitting uh, just when we're waiting you're sitting on the bus for example you're driving many of us have jobs in which it doesn't actually require our full attention throughout I mean when you need to be at your work you're at your work then at that time we shouldn't be distracted with anything else but if you are for example a driver okay if you are for example uh, going to work okay at your work you're busy but you're traveling to work by train for example if you're regularly doing the school run on the way there you might be talking to your kids on the way back you're alone you're not talking to you don't have anybody with you if you're for example going on a bike ride every day okay you've got these opportunities if you're sweeping the house for example or cooking the meal at that time you're not going to be doing anything else okay at least in those times try and make sure that every single day we are making time to make the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the advice of Ibrahim alayhi salam that plant your jannah as much as possible. A lot of people think that you have to like have wudu and sit down in a corner and free yourself from everything and do dhikr. No, dhikr can be done anywhere by anyone at any time and it definitely benefits you. One of our teachers told us relating this from Hazrat Mawlana Rashid Ahmad Gangohi rahmatullah alayhi he said, Khuda ki kasam, agar koi admi sharabi, sharab ke nashe ki halat mein Allah ka naam lega, usko bhi faida hoga. He says, if a person is drunk, and he's just had alcohol, and he's intoxicated, and he says the name of Allah, even it will benefit him also. So imagine a person who's not in that condition. So the name of Allah is very powerful, very beneficial. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, Try and bring this into our lives as much as possible wherever we are. It's free, doesn't cost anything, no effort is required. It's just a movement of the tongue and uh, it, it's very simple. May Allah give us tawfiq. The reason we have the gatherings we have here is to make us accustomed, to make us get the habit. Nowadays, when people are very far from these kind of things, this is why we have to give people shawq. We give people motivation. We try and encourage people. These are methods that we think of that how can more and more people start doing these things? Because if we leave people to it, including myself, okay, we won't end up doing it. So this creates a zeal, a passion. Uh, it's like dua after salah, for example. The dua after salah is every individual makes dua. It's, dua is there. The Prophet ﷺ has said that from the duas, this is in Sahih Hadith, from the du'as which are definitely accepted one is the du'a made in the middle of the night and one is the du'a after every fard salah for you is a definite acceptance now it's not necessary that you the imam does the du'a and you join in but imagine the imam didn't do the du'a how many people would actually sit there and do du'a think about it nobody believes nobody believes that the du'a after salah is part of salah does anybody believe that i don't think so if people do believe that, then it's wrong. Everybody knows when the Imam says salam, if you want to stand up and walk off, you can go. Salah is finished. Yeah, and we see that people go. Nobody says, hey, wait for the dua. So from there we learn, nobody in our congregation believes the dua after the salah to be necessary. 
everybody knows that salah is finished and this is something else separate now the reason why we continue doing it in this way is because being honest in all honest let's talk about forget everybody else i'll talk about me today from morning till now how many times have we made dua we lifted our hands and made dua think okay those of us who've been in salah maybe we did it three times fajr dhuhr asr imagine we took them that away as well how many times would we do dua and dua is not it doesn't mean we have to only do dua when it's time of salah okay dua can be done at any time so these kind of things before we used to have many of these for example we have surah kahf every friday being recited now somebody could say oh where did you get this surah al-kahf from did this happen at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam do you know how many people actually read Surah Al-Kahf now that never used to? Many people sit at home, they don't know how to read Quran so well, so they follow and, and, and they read with it. Many people, when they hear it, they're reminded, oh, I need to read Surah Al-Kahf, so let me read Surah Al-Kahf. Many people who weren't able to read Surah Al-Kahf because they're at work or they're occupied, uh, for example, with their children or they're busy looking after somebody who needs care, the least they're doing now is they might not be reciting, but they're listening to it. And that's better than nothing, isn't it? For the people that are complaining, they're probably not even reading it. Okay. So there was a time if you ask the elders, they will tell you that on a Friday, there was not much of a concept of doing talks and bayans. Everybody would come and the full masjid would be full and everybody would be reciting Surah Al-Kahf. After Maghrib in many of the masajids, there'd be collective recitation of Surah Al-Mulk, for example. Um, and again, nobody believes this to be done necessarily, that everybody should read it collectively. The reason why we have these a'mal and these actions is for tashwiq, is to give people, you know, a, a interest to motivate them uh, so that then you can start doing it independently. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Nevertheless, so we're speaking about dhikr. Let's move on. So, Ibrahim salam, his hospitality was such, he was known as the father of guests. And it's quite unique. You know, from that time till now, his hospitality. So one is generally in the Arabs, we see they're known for the hospitality. We see that. And this is as a result of Ibrahim salam. But in that particular area, we see the hospitality of the Palestinians. And then in that area of Al-Khalil, we have uh, a place which is called Takiya Ibrahim. And that is like basically, uh, how would you say that in English? It's like, um, uh, you know, you get a soup kitchen nowadays, soup kitchen, okay? Where you've got basically people, it's very common, we're seeing so much of it nowadays, right? Where people are going and collecting food. Okay, so Ibrahim would run a soup kitchen, right? In, in his days. And the amazing thing is, in that area, on, under his name, that soup kitchen still runs till today. And it, I, I, I've seen it myself, where they, they, they've got massive, huge pots and they're cooking food. And the poor people are lining up and they're collecting this food regularly. Uh, and, and this is something that's continued. So nevertheless, so Ibrahim salam. Um, he we said that he would not eat alone 
So now we're coming towards the end of his life. Now, some of the books of history mention that Ibrahim salam, you know how our masjid are now working with the homeless shelter. Okay, we're hearing more of this homeless shelter. Ibrahim salam, this is, this is a sunnah of Ibrahim salam. Ibrahim salam would run a homeless shelter. The description in the narrations has been given that this was a homeless shelter. It had a door to enter and a door to exit. Inside, there would be a table. On one table, there would be food and drink. On the other side, there would be clothing, winter clothing and summer clothing. Poor people would enter. They would take whatever food they need, whatever clothes they need, and they would go out from the other door. And Ibrahim would keep restocking this all the time. And this was open. Anytime anybody wants to come to this homeless shelter, they would come in, take what they want, food, drink, clothing, and they would go from there and they would leave. And some people once came to Ibrahim They were quite noble people. And, you know, and he presented them food. He'd give it to, it wasn't just for the poor. This is the, this is the unique thing about Ibrahim Many people are charitable and they give to the poor. But then to give to those who already have, you need an even bigger heart as well. Because sometimes you can say, well, you've got it. Why, you don't need, why do I need to give it to you? This was Ibrahim He didn't discriminate. He gave it to everybody. He fed everybody. And when, when some people came, and they were noble people, they came and they said, you know, uh, he said he presented food to them. They said, we're not, we, you know, we're not, we're not here. We're not charity people. We don't want freebies. We'll, we'll have your food, but we'll pay for it. So Ibrahim said, you've already got the price for it. He said, what's the price? We're going to pay you. He goes, no, 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 no. Before you eat, say Bismillah. When you finish, say Alhamdulillah. These noble people were so impressed with Ibrahim They said, oh Ibrahim, if Allah was to have somebody who he refers to as Hil Khalil, his best and closest friend, we think it should be you. And Quran says, The reason I mention this is because Jibreel alayhi salam on one occasion, he asked uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam on one, one occasion, he asked Jibreel alayhi salam, why has Allah named Ibrahim Khalil? And in this one particular narration, Jibreel says, because of ta'am, because he feeds food to the people. Anybody who comes, no matter who comes, whether they are poor, they are rich, whether he knows them, he doesn't know them, he has this habit of feeding them food. And Allah loved this so much because, every, because at the end of the day, food is something that everybody needs. Whether you are rich or poor, you are healthy or sick, everybody has to eat. And the whole of the creation is the, you can say, al-khalqu iyalullah, is the, the other people of Allah, everybody. Even a disbeliever, these are Allah's people. And Allah has taken it upon himself to feed everybody. He is ar-razaq. وَمَا مِن دَابَّةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا عَلَى اللَّهِ رِزْقُهَا وَيَعْلَمُ مُسْتَقَرَّهَا وَمُسْتَوْدَعَهَا كُلٌّ فِيهِ Ibrahim salam, he acted as the deputy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth and he took it upon himself to feed people. Thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him his khalil. Uh, we have the days of hajj have just gone. And Hazrat Shaykh mentions in those uh, riwayat regarding the Hajj and somebody asked, what is the, which is the Hajj of piety? Which is the best type of Hajj? 
And one of the traits of the Haji, whose Hajj is accepted, is those who feed the people. Siqayatul Hajj was a very noble task, giving water to the Hujjaj. Quran mentions, Aja'altum Siqayatul Hajj, giving water to those who are making tawaf. So similarly, giving food, giving water, this is not a small thing. People who are taking part in the homeless shelter, you don't know how rewarding your actions are. Whether you're linked to a sufa whether you're doing it through the, our masjid here, whether you're doing it through any other masjid, or you've been distributing food throughout the pandemic, this is a very, very noble act and should never be looked down upon. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Ibrahim alayhi salam his khalil according to one narration. Why? Because of it'amut ta'am, giving food to people. So we find over here that one occasion it happened, the angels, uh, they became astonished with Ibrahim because now, now, now we come back to this. Now to be able to feed so many people, to give clothing to so many people, obviously if you're not well off yourself, you can't, you can't do it. And we know that, okay? So that tells us that Allah had blessed Ibrahim with a lot of wealth was very wealthy, very well-to-do. Thus, he could be so generous, be so caring, be so giving all the time, constantly, and always, you know, even if we want to have someone on our dastarkhan, sometimes it's not always possible, okay? Uh, so for him to be able to do that, of course, Allah must have blessed him. So the angels were very astonished at Ibrahim alayhi salam. They were looking at Ibrahim alayhi salam, and they say, how, how is it? This man has been blessed with so much wealth, so much dunya, so much materialism, materialistic things. However, this material, worldly things, objects, wealth, hasn't turned him and diverted his attention from the dhikr of Allah to the blinker of an eye. Then they were discussing amongst themselves the malaika that apparently it seems like that but we don't know what's in his heart. So apparently, somebody can, apparently anybody can look good. Okay, I'm sitting here, apparently everything's good. You don't know what's in my heart, okay? Apparently, anybody can say, you know, I, I, many people, they say, you know, uh, I am very humble and I am this and 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 all of these titles. Okay, and insights people, this person is desiring that people say, no, 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 So apparently you can say anything. But what's in the hearts of the malaika are having this discussion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already knows this was Jibreel and Mikail, the greatest of angels. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them to make it clear to them has Ibrahim salam got this, what he's doing? Is it just apparent and show? Is it in the heart or not? The angels were told to go down and test Ibrahim salam, or more rather test themselves to try and see. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave, gave them a special dhikr to go and use this dhikr because remember their, their, question, their, their confusion or what they were astonished with is that dunya and the world has not diverted his attention from the dhikr of Allah. So the angels, they come down as people and they approach Ibrahim alayhi salam and they say, we are guests and we would like to spend the night in your home. 
Of course, as you know, Ibrahim السلام, with open arms, he says, welcome, marhaba, you are welcome. Ibrahim السلام, places food in front of them, drink in front of them. The malaika, they are sitting, they are eating, they are drinking. When they are now full and they've had as much as they wanted, okay, they start making the dhikr of Allah. One of them says, Subhanadil mulki wal malakut. And the other one said, Subhanal malikil quddus. Now imagine, this was no ordinary person. Jibreel, Mikael, the greatest of angels. Just imagine the voice. Imagine the love of Allah. These angels were made of nur, never committed any sins, always in dhikr. Imagine how powerful, spiritual their dhikr must have been. So they said, they started, and they do, so Allah told them to do, they started doing it loudly. One of them is saying, Subhanadil mulki wal malakut. And the other one is saying, Subhanal malikil quddus. Ibrahim salam left everything. And he went into a state of ecstasy. He enjoyed the pleasure and the sweetness of the dhikr so much, he lost control and he became unconscious. He enjoyed it so much that he became unconscious and he fell onto the floor. After some time, Ibrahim salam woke up and he went to these two people. He said, please, I beg you, say the name of Allah one more time. Just one more time. I want to hear it again. And they said, no. You have to, you know, the first time you gave us so much food. So in return, you, you know, he says, look, all the food you can see in my house. Well, you know, he had plenty of it. All of that is yours. He said, well, look, you've already given us food. We want something more than that. So he pointed towards a whole flock of sheep on the farm. He says, all my sheep, all my belongings in terms of the sheep, I'm giving them all to you in exchange of you saying the name of Allah one time. One time. He said, accepted. Rodina. So again, one angel said, Subhanadil mulki wal malakut. And the other said, Subhanal malikil quddus. Ibrahim salam went into a state of ecstasy. He enjoyed listening to the name of Allah so much. Once again, he fell unconscious. When he gained consciousness again, he says, please, one more time, say the name of Allah. The, the love he had for Allah was so immense. He just wanted to hear the name of Allah one more time. So what will you give us this time? He says, I will give you all of my cattle. Look on my farm. I have cattle, all my cattle. Now this is like thousands of pounds he's giving away of his own personal wealth. Remember they were saying that is, is this wealth in his heart or is he just showing it? They're testing him out. They said, okay, agreed. Again, they did the dhikr, subhanadil mulki wal malakut, subhanal malikil quddus. Again, he falls unconscious. And then he gains consciousness again. He says, please repeat it again. What will you give us this time? He says, all my wealth, all my belongings, I give all to you. Every penny I own is yours. This is accepted. And they did dhikr again. Subhanadil mulki wal malakut, subhanal malikil quddus. And he fell unconscious again. This time when he was revived, he says, please, I ask you one more time. Just one more time, say the name of Allah. What will you give us now? says, I don't own anything. He says, I will sell myself to you. I will become your slave. You can tell me what you want, but just make me hear Allah's name one more time. Then the angels, they stopped. And this is now we know why he is the Khalil of Allah. And now we know 
and they reveal to him that we are angels. We don't want any of your items. We don't want your food. We don't want your sheep. We don't want your cattle. We were astonished by your immense love of Allah and how this worldly pursuit, worldly items didn't divert your attention away from the dhikr of Allah. Upon hearing this, Ibrahim salam responded by saying, Hasbi Allahu wa ni'mal wakil. So, like I mentioned to you on one occasion, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked Ya Jibreel, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make Ibrahim his Khalil? Jibreel responded by saying, because he feeds food to everybody. Now, let's conclude by mentioning the demise of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Some scholars have mentioned 175 as the final age. Some have said 190, others have said 200. So we're giving, giving a rough estimation. Okay, so 150 years plus he lived and Jibreel alayhi salam visited Ibrahim alayhi salam 42 times in his lifetime. And the time difference some scholars have mentioned between Ibrahim alayhi salam and the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is 2780 years. Again, this might not be accurate. This is according to one calculation. Now, Ibrahim salam had had this agreement with Allah that, Oh Allah, I know death is going to come. It's inevitable. But Oh Allah, can you give me death when I say I'm ready to go? Allah said, okay, that's fine. As long as you know you're going to go one day. Uh, so now what happens is Allah... Now, that doesn't mean that Ibrahim salam is going to decide when he goes. Allah had decided already for everybody. This was just... Uh, a means and as you will understand from here when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided for Ibrahim salam and he'd already decided how long he's going to live Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the angel of death in the form of an old man as a guest to the house of Ibrahim salam so this old man comes well actually he's at a distance and he's walking on this very hard land. Ibrahim noticed from a distance, he said, look, this old man, Bichara, go and send, my, send, send an animal. He sent an animal to go and give him a ride, to bring him over. And he clothed him, he gave him food, he, he offered him food and water, so he sat him down. When he invited him over, he prepared the food, and he says, uh, eat. So now this old man, in reality, is the angel of death. He picks up the food, and instead of putting it into his mouth, he's putting the food into his eyes. Then he's getting the food and he's putting it into his nose. He's getting the food, putting it into his ears. Then he took the food, he puts it in his mouth. As soon as he puts it in his mouth, it comes out straight away. Every time he puts it into his mouth, he immediately exits. And sometimes he's putting it into his eyes, into his ears. So, Ibrahim Islam said, Sheikh, what's going on? This is a bit weird. <laughs> you know, eat properly. How come you're doing this? He says, why is this happening to you? He's saying, because of old age. Because this is what happens in old age. So he says, how old are you? So the old man, Allah told him to say, his age, two years older than Ibrahim Islam. So I'm so-and-so age. Ibrahim Islam said, whoa, like, that's only two years away. 
Is, the, is this what happens when you get to that age? So immediately he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh Allah, please call me unto you now. I'm ready to come. I don't want to see this ardalil umar. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa also sought the uh, refuge of Allah. Min ardalil umar. When a person becomes senile, may Allah protect us from reaching such an age where you don't know what you're doing. You lose your senses and you become senile. The Prophet sought the protection of Allah from such an age. So he said, please take me to you. Immediately the old man who was there, he was the angel of death and he extracted the soul of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And that was the end of the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And we already discussed where he is buried in Hebron in the cave. How many minutes do we have left? Six. Okay. So very quickly, I'm going to share with you something regarding the area where Ibrahim salam is buried. The first person to accept Islam from Hebron uh, was a Sahabi by the name of Tamim Ibn Aws Ad-Dari radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was a Christian. He accepted Islam. And he came in the ninth year of Hijrah, he came to Masjid Nabi. He's the first to light the lanterns. We've already spoke about this in detail. Now, I want to mention this because what he did was, so after all of this happened, when he was going back to Palestine, he went to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he requested the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to offer him an endowment. We call it waqf. He asked for land. He says, do you know the land of Palestine, Hebron, Al-Khalil and the surrounding lands? Oh, Prophet of Allah, I want you now, imagine where we are now. Palestine at the moment is under occupation, okay? There in Medina Munawwara, a Christian has come, accepted Islam, narrated this amazing hadith about seeing the Dajjal and everything, lightened the masjid up, and now he's leaving and he's saying, Oh Prophet of Allah, please appoint some land for us, for me and my family. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and this is mentioned in the narrations of hadith, he called Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Ali radiallahu ta'ala had a leather sock, he took off this leather sock and ripped off some of the leather. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the scribe. And he wrote on this piece of leather. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Hada ma anta Muhammad Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam li tamim ad-dari wa aw ikhwatihi hibron wal martum wa bayt aynun wa bayt ibrahim wa ma fi hinna natiyatun an wa this was the first waqf in Islam. Where was it done? Palestine, the land of Hebron. Tamim al-Dari asked for land to be given to him, the land of Hebron. He asked for it. And the Prophet got this written on leather by Sayyidina Ali anhu, and he said, anybody who fights them, okay, may Allah destroy them. And this will remain with them until the day of Qiyamah. And even now the people of the family of Tamim al-Dari, al-Dariyin or al-Tamimi family, they are the people who this land belongs to, the land of Hebron. Uh, according to the declaration of the Prophet there was an interesting incident that happened later on, many years later on, where the people, some people started fighting for that land. And they said, we want this land. This land doesn't belong to you. So they went to the Qadi and the judge. And the Qadi and the judge of the time, uh, he was Abu Hamid al-Harawi. 
and they took the court case to him and they said this land we want it the people of the family the descendants of Tamim al-Dari they bought this leather skin on which the Prophet ﷺ had written this endowment and waqf that this belongs to them and the Qadi said that this is not lazim it's not applicable they said why why is this not applicable? He said, well, the Prophet ﷺ didn't own that land of Palestine to give it to somebody else. He was thinking about maybe the Balfour Declaration. Because he didn't own, did he, he was in Medina. He didn't own that land to give it to people. How did he give it? So the people said, we need a fatwa. Who was the greatest scholar at that time in Palestine? The visiting scholar in Palestine at the time was none other than Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, living in Masjid al-Aqsa, writing part of his Ihya al-Ulumuddin. They went to him for the fatwa. He said, look, this is what the Qadi has said. This is a declaration of the Prophet We've got it written on the leather skin, witnessed by Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. And he appointed this land for Tamim Dari and his family. The first thing Imam Ghazali said, that the Qadi who spoke against this, he has become a kafir. That's the first thing. Hadal Qadi kafir, number one. And the second thing he said, when the Prophet wasallam has said in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, Allah took the whole world, the east and the west, put it together and put it in front of me and showed me the kingdom of my ummah. And when he would, when he would say, People would come to him and he said, Allah will give you a palace in Jannah. Allah will give you a house in Jannah. When he was allotting people palaces in Jannah, can he not allot places in the world? If the Prophet of Allah allotted people palaces in Jannah, can he not allot a place for somebody in the world? And then from then onwards, he said, فَوَعْدُهُ وَأَطَاؤُهُ The promise of the Prophet ﷺ is truthful and his gifting, this was the first waqf in Islam. Waqf, we say in English, endowment. We have many waqf. The first waqf in Islam was a land of Hebron given to Tamim al-Dari and his family and it will remain with them until Yawmul Qiyamah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. Next week, inshallah, next Tuesday, we will discuss the story of the Prophet Shu'aib alayhi salam wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.